Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 20 to 31. All flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you. Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours. Those which have joined legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locusts after its kind, the destroying locusts after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its kind. But all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven hoof or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, those are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth, the mole, the mouse, and the large lizard after its kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here together to give you praise and worship. Pray that you open up the congregation's heart, open up the unrepentant hearts, and show them that they are unclean. Because there is a day that's appointed for us, death, and then the judgment. Pray that you give Dan your spirit, that he may preach boldly, preach with wisdom from above. Pray that the preaching of your word and the meditation of our hearts is pleasing in your sight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the, the midst of declaring what things are clean and unclean, this passage introduces a new concept, not a new concept that for anybody who's read the law, because it's repeated in the law a lot. But this is the first time that the concept is ever introduced. We've heard about how you're made unclean. It's been defined before. But it's never been defined before what you do about it when you become unclean. The sin offering, the trespass offerings, those weren't about ceremonial uncleanness. Those were about sin. You realize that you sinned. You come to an understanding that you're sinned. You have to give a sin offering. You realize that as somebody who has been cleansed, that you have sinned against God. It's about repentance. Real repentance. But then there's also this ongoing issue that, that God's been talking about, about things becoming ceremonial unclean. And in this passage is the first time that it says what to do if you become ceremonially unclean. So it's not about actual sin, it's about pictures of sin and what you do, what picture there is about how you have the sin removed from you. If one's made ceremonially unclean, then it requires something to make them clean. And so they, ceremonially uncleanness is not about actually sinning. It's about being associated with something that has the picture of sin. If you touch the the carcass of a dead, unclean animal, it doesn't mean you sinned, but it means you became ceremonially unclean. You, You took the picture of sin upon you by joining together with this dead animal that was ceremonially unclean. And so what's required to make them clean? There'll be other things. There's sacrifices that certain things, like if a woman who gave birth, she became ceremonially unclean and she had to make a sacrifice to become clean. 
A leper has to make a sacrifice to become clean. But the most common means to become clean, and it's pretty much associated with every other way to become clean, is you have to wait until evening. You have to wait until the end of the day. And this is the first time that it ever says that in Scripture, is in this passage. But it's going to say it a lot going forward. So what, why is that an important picture? Why, why to become clean do you always have to wait until evening? Why do you always have to wait until the end of the day? So to understand what that means and why that's so significant is we need to understand what a day is. A day is a picture of all of history. Starts in the evening, there's light, but the light is going away and it fades away. This is the effect of sin in the world. This is what it looks like and then it became very dark. And then the picture of Christ coming is the picture of light, right? John 1, the light came into the world. That's the picture of dawn. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them there was a light shined. That's the picture of Christ coming. He comes in Naphtali. This is why we know that he was supposed to come out of Nazareth is because of this. But fundamentally, Christ came into a land of death and darkness. He was the dawn of the world. So the dawn is the picture of Christ coming into the world. And then it gets brighter through the day. That's the picture of the church. The church, you know, the Daniel 2, the rock that's cut without hands. That's a small rock that grows to fill the whole earth. That's the picture of the day. It's the the gospel going out throughout all the world, going out through the nations where there was darkness. Now the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what happens when Christ came. That's the promise of what will happen when Christ comes. And so that is what is happening. We're in day right now. But then at the end of time, that's the picture of the evening coming again. There's a division of the light from the darkness, but more important from our purpose to understand why you're cleansed at the end of the day. You're uncleansed when you wait until evening. is because at the end of time, when Christ returns, when all of his enemies have been made his footstool, when he comes to defeat the last enemy, which is death, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immorality. Immortality, But when this corruptible has put on incorruption and that this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Being unclean until evening is the picture that at the end of time, when Christ returns, when he gathers the elect, he takes all their sin away. Every bit of it. Corruption puts on incorruption. At the end of time, all those who are are saved, all those who are clean, they become perfectly clean. And I think that's why uncleanness lasts till the end of the day because it's a picture that while we are on this earth, we will sin. We will never get rid of all of our sin. But the day is coming, the promise is coming that the end of this world, that all sin will be put away, all of it will be gone Every bit of it. And God put this picture so that whenever they became unclean, they always had to wait till the end of the day to become clean. Because waiting till the end of the day to become clean is the picture that we're supposed to be saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
when we hear that they're unclean until evening, it's a picture of that final resurrection. And until that resurrection, we always have some uncleanness. Just as John wrote in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We can be cleansed, but we still have to wash our hands and feet, which is the picture of the priest. He's been baptized. He's been washed from head to toe when he was consecrated, when he was set aside as a priest. But his hands still get filthy. But the day is coming where our hands will not have any filth on them at all ever again. Because the day is coming when corruption will put on incorruption. And we will be in the perfect light of God forevermore. That's the promise of Scripture. So, But before this passage talks about how to be made clean, it first deals with a, another category, the category of insects. We don't usually think of insects as food. Not like animals of the field or some birds, fish. We think of all those things as food. But back when God spoke to Noah, after he got off the ark, he said in Genesis 9-3, every moving thing... Every moving thing that lives on the earth or lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So God said to Noah, you can eat bugs. But then God restricts through Moses the bugs that they were supposed to eat to set Israel aside as a separate and distinct people. So with that, let's go to verses 20 through 23. All flying insects that creep on all floor fours shall be an abomination to you yet these ye may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap on the earth these you may eat the locust after its kind the destroying locust after its kind the cricket after its kind and the grasshopper after its kind but all other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you So all flying insects, that, that word translated insect, it doesn't really mean insect the way we think of insect. This is actually the same exact word that was used in verse 11. In verse 11, it was translated birds. So this is, should probably be more considered all the wing things. And so the word kind of, when it's more widely used, it's used for specifically for birds but it also has the meaning of anything that flies. But this is talking about a specific category of things that fly, which are not those that have feathers, because everything that has a feather that flies, it only has two legs. Well, except if it has like a birth defect or something. There are cases of chickens with more than two legs. But assuming that there's no birth defect, the nature of the species, there are nothing that has feathers that flies, that, that has more than two legs. But these are flying things that creep on all fours. So when we think of that, we think of insects. Birds have two legs. Insects have more than two legs. And technically, insects always have six legs. They have three sections in their body, and there's two legs on each of the sections, so all insects have six legs. And so... When you compare these to those, you have the birds where God gives examples of birds that aren't clean. So the default is they're clean. For the flying insects, it's the opposite. He starts out by saying if they, have wing, if they fly and they creep on all fours, they're unclean. And let me give you some exceptions of things that are clean. So in the one, the default is they're clean. In the other, the default is that they're unclean. So things that creep on all fours. So, I mean, I think it is worthwhile considering the difference, right? Because it's about two legs versus four legs. Something that's on two legs is naturally upright. Something that's on four legs is naturally not upright. And so I think God is saying that if it's upright, the default is to think it's clean. If it's not upright, the default is to go, it's not clean. So if they stand on all fours, their, their attitude is more naturally downward. And so by default, I think they're unclean. And so the clean are the exception to the rule. Being unclean is the rule for flying things that creep on all fours. 
And that word translated creep comes from the word to swarm. And so it's more like the, the swarming is what defines them. But things that swarm tend to creep. They tend to work in concert with one another. And so those things that are flying insects that creep on all four, they shall be an abomination to you. Anything that creeps on four legs shall be an abomination unless God gave an exception. The animals of the field, they were on all four, and so they were declared unclean unless, and he gave an exception, unless they had a cloven hoof and chewed their cud. The birds, by default, they're clean unless they're one of the unclean. The things in the water that don't have fins or scale, those are an abomination. And so it is a different word that's used here. For the, for the animals of the field, they're just unclean. And that means to be defiled or to be defiling. They're foul. It's like they're spoiled. As opposed to things that are abomination, they're like filth is what the word means. So a pig is unclean, it's defiled, but a flying insect that creeps on all fours, unless it has jointed legs that are above its, above its feet, except for the exceptions, everything that creeps on all fours, they're supposed to be considered filth and not just considered defiling. But yet these you may eat. Even though by default they are abominations, there are some exceptions that are clean, that are pictures of being holy, even though they're creeping on four legs. So of every flying insect that creeps on all fours are the moving creatures that fall into this category where they fly or where they can fly, but they walk on four legs. They're also clean. And again, they creep on the, floor, on the, on the ground. But they can be clean. But it's important to recognize that going out about on four legs that it's talking about in this, in this phrase, it doesn't mean that they only have four legs. Insects have six legs. Uh, locust has six legs. A grasshopper has six legs. A fly has six legs. But the point is, is that they have more than two legs that they walk on, is what makes them by default unclean, which is, again, why I think it has more to do with the attitude of the body that people walk on two legs, we're more upright. If you're a dog and you're on four legs, you're, you're not upright. It's not the same picture. You're face towards the ground. Your focus is on the ground. And so the issue isn't how many legs they have. It's whether they can walk on four legs or not or whether they just walk on two legs. Like a grasshopper, it mostly walks on its front four legs, but it has the other two legs. So it has six legs. Other insects mostly move on their back four legs, but they use and they may use their front four legs to do other or front two legs to do other things like pick things up and things. Or you could be like an ant and walk on all six legs, but that would still qualify here. It doesn't matter. The issue is are you walking on two legs or more than two legs? But those who are clean are those which have jointed legs. And that doesn't mean they just have to have a knee because like most legs have knees or have some joint in the middle of them. So it has to be a leg that articulates more than other insect legs. And meaning through the examples that they give, they're supposed to understand. And then it says above the feet, above their feet. And so if you look at the, the insects that are clean, their joint is significantly above their body. And I think that's what it's, it's talking about here. They're, the ones that can leap on the earth, they have legs that are a lot longer than their other four legs. And so, you know, I think in the, the Hebrew is kind of confusing here where it says those who have jointed legs, which above their feet. But I think it's really that they're like way above their feet because everybody in a, in a leg, your knee is typically above your feet. But if you look at the things that are clean, their, their joint and their knee is above the rest of their leg even. It's the top thing on the leg. And I think that's more the picture here, which means that they can leap on the earth. The reason that things that creep on the earth are unclean 
is because they're the picture of being earthly, being attached to the earth, being of the earth, and not being holy, not being separated from the fleshly things, the earthly things. But grasshoppers, locusts, these other, these other things that can leap, that are insects, they're clean because that leaping is a picture of separating themselves from the world. Even though they come back to the earth, they're still separating themselves. They're still leaping up. But they're seeking to be separate from it. So those you can eat. Those who are trying to separate themselves from the world, they're clean. They can be eaten. And then God gives some examples. The locust after its kind. So this is the type of locust that destroyed all the green things in Egypt. And its name comes from the word for increase. It's used in other places, right, that, that you know, like the, the armies of Moab were like the locusts of the field. It's used as a, as a picture of a large number. <coughs> so, right, the picture of them overwhelming Egypt, the picture of them is, you know, it's like there's a large number and the focus is on the number. And so this is a picture, I mean... Again, Daniel 2. This is a picture how the church is supposed to overwhelm the world. It's to increase. It's to, to expand. It's to become that mountain that fills the whole earth. That's what the church is doing. That's what it is supposed to do. And that's how it's a picture of the clean locust. Then it has the destroying locust. The name from that locust comes from the word that means craggy rock or, or you know, like a... a lofty rock, one that's high up. But locusts really don't fly that high. But sometimes it's also a secondary meaning of that word is to like to destroy, to crush, like a rock crushes. And so that's probably what this this word means, and that's why the you know why the New King James translates it the destroying locust. Because the word that it comes from is like destruction. That's the only place in script this is the only place in scripture where that word is used so we can't compare it to other uses. But the picture here seems to be that the clean things that destroy the things of the world. And again it's that picture that it says in Daniel 2 verse 35 then the iron the clay the bronze the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. It's the picture of destroying the things of the world. That's what the clean are supposed to do. Not, not destroy the good things that God has put in here, not food and things, but to destroy the kingdoms that rise up against God. <coughs> destroying the kingdoms of this world is a sign of being clean. Then we have the, the cricket after its kind. The word translated cricket comes from the word to leap. And so the, the picture here is they have to be able to leap, to be clean. And a sign of being clean is you do leap. You do separate yourself from the worldly things. You don't enjoy being on the ground. First John 2.15, do not love the world or the things of the, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the picture of the, the non-leaping locust, the, not, the cricket. If you just want to walk on this earth and you're satisfied with the things of this earth, don't think you're clean. You know, when we go back to Hebrews, Hebrews 11 is about how they looked forward to a heavenly country, one whose builder and maker was God. If you're, not, if you're just satisfied with being on this earth, then you're not clean. The world has real effects upon Christians and we're supposed to be working to, to separate ourselves from the world and not being brought down to it. And then the last one is the grasshopper after its kind. The Hebrew word that's this is translated of, just like with the fish, just like with the, <coughs> the birds. You get this one that we don't know really the word even. We don't even know what the root of the word means. We can't get what it's pointed to from the root of the word. 
So I think we're supposed to, just like with the other ones, that this is, you're supposed to see the pattern. You're supposed to understand from the pattern what this other animal is. Just like you're supposed to see from the birds, that the birds that are focused on the earthly things, that the evidence of walking in the flesh, we're supposed to see it. He's not supposed to have to list everything. And here we don't know what this animal is, what this insect is, because we're supposed to be able to understand this is what this is what it looks like to be holy. This is what it looks like to be righteous. And he's given us enough examples so that he gives us an animal that we can't know what it is because we're supposed to be able to figure it out. Not the animal, but figure out what it looks like to be clean, what it looks like to be unclean. That's why he appoints a priesthood so that we can distinguish between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy. <coughs> This is used in a couple other places, and I think it's used in four other places, and half of those places that it's used, it's used as a picture of feebleness. Such as in Isaiah 40, 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And compared to God, we have no strength. It's also used with, with the spies when they come back from Egypt, and they say, we were grasshoppers in their sight. That's the word that's translated grasshopper here. And so there's an aspect of the meek will inherit the earth. That those who are righteous, it's not their, they're not righteous because of their strength. They're not righteous because of their power. Even as they separate themselves and try to separate themselves from the things of the world, it's not by their strength. They're weak. So after giving these four examples, he says, but all other flying insects, all those that cannot leap above the earth, those that do not have a jointed leg that, that sticks up, if you will, that don't separate themselves from the earth. They might look like they're upright. They might be a praying mantis that they look like they pray, but they're not clean. They might look upright. They might look like they're separate. But if they're using it for earthly purposes. And again, you have the picture of the the things that creep on the ground that that we all look at and go, yeah, that's a picture of being earthly. But these are flying things. These things are things that can fly. So I think they're more of a picture of, of those who you might think are actually clean. That you might think that they're actually holy. That they're actually separated from the world. But think of a fly. It moves around in its flight. It can separate itself. It can get off the earth. But in the end, its purpose of doing that is to get someplace where it has something on the earth that it wants. It's like a picture of the Sadducees. They use religion for earthly gain. They don't have any heavenly purpose. But they could look like they had a heavenly purpose. They could look like they had a Godward purpose. They could look like it wasn't about the love of the world. They can fly, except in the end, it's still about just the love of the world. They look like they're rising above it, but all they're doing is just moving around so they can be in better position on the earth. So all the flying flying insects that have four feet, if they creep, if they're not upright, if they can't leap, they're not clean for you to eat. But even more, they're an abomination to you. We're supposed to consider them filth. And remember, this is talking about men. Peter understood after the, the sheet came down that God is talking about men here. And so when we look at this, we're supposed to recognize that, that the person who, who you know, uses the name of God, the person who uses and, and says that they're a Christian, that that's a lot different than somebody who's just of this world. Because those who are of this world are unclean, and they're to be unclean to us. We should recognize we can be defiled by them. But the person who pretends to be in Christ, pretends to be the believer, pretends to have a heavenly focus, pretends to, to, to not be thinking of this world, and pretends like their hope is in a different world, they're an abomination. They're just not unclean. They're an abomination.
you know, think of, we can think of prominent men like that. Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn. They're a lot worse than the unbeliever. And yes, they're unbelievers, but we should think of them and consider them abominations. And we can add more to that list. It's easy to add more to that list, but the church doesn't, doesn't go. These men are an abomination. They're not just unclean. Donald Trump, he's just unclean. Benny Hinn's an abomination. We're not to be dispassionate about men like that. We're supposed to see them as an abomination to the church of Jesus Christ. That they're an abomination to the name of God. (coughs) Verses 24 through 28. By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven-hoofed or does not chew the cut is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean. And whatever goes on its paws among all kinds of animals that go on all fours, these are unclean to you. Whoever touches any such carcass shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It is unclean to you. So by these you shall become unclean. We need to recognize how we are affected by the unclean around us. Which is why you're supposed to examine yourself before the Lord's Supper. It's why the priests had to wash their hands and feet before they could minister in the holy place. It's this picture that we need to recognize that we become unclean when we touch the world. So just as the grasshopper hops above and works to separate itself from the earth. It's still going on all fours. It's still being defiled by the earth. And so we're supposed to be recognized that we get defiled. Especially by those who look like they fly, but they're really creeping on all fours. So as Paul says to the church in Corinth, who is not seeing themselves as being made unclean, but the uncleanness even though they have uncleanness in the midst of them, they thought that they were separated from the uncleanness. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're supposed to recognize The church can be defiled. We can be defiled. That those, especially those who appear to be clean, when they're unclean, they have a real defiling effect. So whoever touches the carcass, when you touch the dead of these unclean animals, I think the idea of them being dead is that they've proven to be unclean. They're not changing from being unclean. They were unclean before, but when they die, it's over. They're unclean and you touch their carcass, you have anything to do with them, of any of them, regardless of how they fall short of being clean. Maybe they don't chew the cud, or maybe they don't have a cloven hoof. They don't have any hope in eternity. Maybe they go along with the world rather than swimming against the world. Maybe they're not separated from the world by the armor of God, by the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Whether they creep on the earth instead of separating themselves from the earth, regardless of the reason, when we have interaction with people like that, we have to recognize it defiles us. It makes us unclean. And then it says, so you shall be unclean until evening. Of course, you think about this, and it would be a frequent occurrence. This isn't like a random thing. A fly lands on your arm, you slap the fly and you kill the fly, guess what? You're now unclean until evening. And so this would be a frequent occurrence. And it would happen in cases where you didn't even know about it. But it still makes you unclean. And we need to recognize we're not like Christ. When Christ walked through the earth, he made the unclean clean. When we walk through the earth, the unclean affects us and defiles us. Now, we could argue that collectively as the church... 
we cleanse the world because we are the body of Christ. We are to have that effect. We are to have that, that constraint of sin effect. We, we do, but individually, we need to recognize that the world affects us and makes us unclean. <coughs> but we also have a promise that it's over. There's a point where, that, where unclean will become clean. When Christ returns, when the dead rise, when mortality puts in immortality, when Christ casts out all things that offend, all those who practice lawlessness, then we will be fully clean and we will never be defiled again. But whoever carries part of the carcass. So there's a difference between touching it and carrying it. Touching it just means that you came in contact with it. The carrying it, the, the root word of that word, carried, means to lift. So it's not like something dies on you and falls on you. That's just touching it. When you intentionally pick it up, when you intentionally join yourself to it, you know, if you're carrying part of that carcass, you've joined with that sinner. You've joined with that person who's unclean. You know, just to touch it, that's the pattern of life. We walk through the world that's filled with people who are unrighteous. We bump into them all the time. And because of that, yes, it has an effect on us, but we don't need to cleanse ourselves from that. But when we join with it, when we carry it, when we're, when we're participating with it, then you have to do more. Then you have to do more to be clean. <coughs> yeah, this is why Paul commanded that the person who's unholy must be put out of the church. And then they actually had to repent. And he talks about in 2 Corinthians 7 about how they repented. They repented because they lifted, they carried the unholy one. And they said, yeah, you're fine with God when he wasn't. And so they have to repent. They have to do more than just say, we're going to wait until the end of, and the end of time, and then God will clean it all up. Now, if anyone carries part of the carcass, he shall wash his clothes. The picture is when we join with someone who's filthy, when we join with someone who's an abomination in the sight of God, and that should be unintentional, right? It's not that we go, oh, we know this person. You know, it's, it's the person who's going to a church and they find out their pastor's an adulterer. Well, they were, they were joined to that pastor. And so they have a responsibility to go, okay, so, so how did his uncleanness defile me? which is the picture of washing your clothes. How did, because clothes are, are a picture of the acts, right? That, that we're clothed in the righteous acts of the saints in heaven. And so clothes are a picture of acts. So, so whenever we've joined with somebody that we later find out they're unclean, we're supposed to go, okay, so how did he affect me? Because he did affect me. We don't go, oh, no, that didn't have any effect. We go, no, it did have an effect. What effect did it have? What do I need to wash out? Where do I have stains that I thought this was normal and now I realize this is actually stained? This is a picture of 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And so whenever we're with the person who looks holy, whenever we're, we're, we pick up that lobster that we thought it was a, was a sea animal that was clean, Whenever we, whenever we have that interaction with the men that are unclean, we need to say, we've been defiled. What do we need to wash off? What do we need to change? Where do we need to repent? It's not just, I'll wait until Christ returns and then I'll be fine. It's, what do I need to change now? <coughs> but even then, we wash our clothes. We repent of our sins. We see how that the unclean has affected us, but we're still unclean until evening. Because even though we should turn from our sin, even though we repent, all our uncleanness is not going to go until Christ returns. We need corruption to put on incorruption. Now God's going to give a specific animal in the carcass of any animal which divides the foot but is not cloven hoofed. So this is an animal that's not clean. So it's a picture of joining with somebody who... Maybe, they're, maybe you go and they're, they're doing a Bible study and they chew the cut and they debate scripture, but they don't go out and walk with a, with a focus on eternal life. They're unclean and they've defiled you. And you have to wash your clothes. Or maybe 
right? Maybe they chew the cud, but they don't have a cloven hoof. Or maybe they don't chew the cud, but they, you see them working and they're doing all these works that look like they're for the kingdom of God, that look like they're so righteous, but they never crack open their Bible. It's a picture of someone who's unclean, someone who's going to defile you, someone who's going to affect you. If you touch it, whoever comes in contact with people like that, they're impacted, they'll be unclean. And if they carried it, they'll need to wash their clothes. If they join with them, they need to wash their clothes. If they just had contact with them, they still have to recognize it has an effect on them. That They'll just be unclean until evening. Then whatever goes on paws, the word for paw there most typically is translated hand. Because the word means hollow and like, like if you can scoop water out, that's, that's the picture of a hand or a paw here. Since it's talking about for animals. So obviously anything that, has a, that can, has a hollow in their hand, it's not cloven because if it did, that's just not what paws look like, what hands look like. <coughs> so c- clearly they're not cloven. And so any of the animals that have paws that are like hands among all kinds of animals, regardless of whether they're considered a beast of the field or something that creeps, as long as it's alive, if it has blood, and it goes on all fours. If they go on four legs, they creep on the earth. They're associated with earthly things. They are unclean to you. There must be a focus. Regardless of the animal, there must be a focus beyond this world for someone to be clean. If all they're concerned about is this world, they are not clean. So whoever touches any such carcass, the first group of animals are those that look clean but are not. And so those who look clean or not, we need to recognize we're defiled by them, but we also need to recognize we're defiled by this other group. These are people that don't look clean. Nobody looks at a mouse and goes, oh, that should be a clean animal. Nobody looks at a a fly and goes, oh, that should be a clean animal. But even those animals that aren't clean, that we touch and that we know they're unclean, we're supposed to recognize they still defile us. Whoever touches any of those animals, they're unclean animals, and you're still unclean until evening. You're still defiled, whether they pretend like they're Christians and they aren't, or whether they don't have any pretense, don't don't underestimate their, uh, their ability to affect you, to have an impact on you. And you still need, you can't truly be clean until Christ returns and he puts out everything that offends, everything that practices lawlessness so that he takes our corruption and puts on incorruption so that we can walk in holiness and righteousness from then on and not be defiled at all. Because when there's the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no defilement. We will never be defiled again. So whoever carries any such carcass, if we join with them, if we join with the world, it has a real effect. And we're going to frequently go, oh, no, that doesn't affect me. I know I can stay separate from that. No, it has a real effect, is what God's Word saying. So you have to wash your clothes. You have to recognize when you touch filth in the world, it makes you filthy. And so they had to wash their clothes and they'd be unclean until evening. We can cleanse ourselves. We can examine our deeds. We can repent from the deeds that we did that were wrong. We can examine ourselves and make sure that we're thinking about things rightly because touching the defiled causes us to think, think about things unrightly. But you're still unclean until evening. You still need the glorification that Christ promises when he returns. <coughs> so it's unclean to us. We should be, those things that are unclean, we're supposed to work to separate ourselves. Remember the commandment that, Mo, that God gave to Aaron when he speaks to Aaron. He says, discern between the clean and the unclean. Discern between the holy and the unholy and teach it to Israel. We're supposed to recognize what's unclean and declare it so that people know what's unclean so they don't get defiled. And the first step of doing that is to actually look and see what is unclean. Because if we just accept that things aren't unclean, then that's how you get defiled. We're supposed to have that discernment. We're supposed to say, this is unclean. This will affect me. Not, oh, look, look at the great work I can do here. 
Instead, we're supposed to say, look at how this is going to affect me. I need to be careful. I need to be cautious. I need to make sure I don't get undef- that I don't get defiled. Verses 29 through 31. These also shall be unclean to you among the creeping things that creep on the earth. The, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> the mole, the mouse, and the large, large lizard after its kind. The gecko, the monitor lizard, and the sand reptile, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that creep. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. So these also shall be unclean to you. God deals with another category of animal. One that we probably quickly see as unclean. These are the things that creep on the earth. You know, and we should see this even from, from Genesis 3, where God says to Satan, you deceived Eve, and you got her to eat of the fruits, so therefore you'll creep, you'll, you'll slither around on the ground. You won't have any legs to lift you up off the ground. So when we think about creeping things, we're supposed to be thinking about this is, this is clearly tied to Satan, not tied to God. So among the creeping things, among those that have this picture of being like Satan, that creep on the earth, and obviously it's the broader category that was already declared with those who have a paw, but also God wanted to give specific examples about, and again, when he gives specific examples, it's so that we can get pictures of what things look like that creep on the earth that, that are unclean. So the first one is the mole. It's translated mole in the New King James. It's translated weasel in the King James. And that the word, though, really means, or that it's based on, really means to, like, glide along. You know, it's like the slick. The slick or not. You, you, you know people who are slick in the ways of the world. Those who are slick in the ways of the world, they're not righteous. They're the picture of the weasel. I think weasel is probably a better translation than mole. Because that's how we use the word. Weasels on the earth are not clean. And I certainly know men that I would call weasels. And so we should just recognize that and see that and see those characteristics and say if they have those characteristics, they're not acting upright. They're not acting like they're righteous and clean. This is not how the righteous act. They don't act slick. They act straightforward. There's a big difference between the two. The mouse, that word means entangle, and it's also used for spiders. (coughs) But I think here, because they're creeping on the ground, it's not really talking about a spider as much. as It can also mean to attack, like you entangle it so that you can nibble at it, which is why it's translated mouse. And that one's pretty consistent, being translated mouse. And so this is like the idea that's always attacking, always nibbling away, always, always trying to get what it can. That's a sign of being unclean. They're not building, they're destroying. The thing that is always destroying is unclean. The large lizard after its kind. The word translated large lizard here is translated tortoise in the KJV which makes a lot more sense to me than large lizard. I have no idea how they got large lizard. Because, again, the word that it's based on is the word to cover, and it's actually used twice in other places in Scripture. One's used as a litter. You know, like when people are being carried and they sit in that box. That's, that's the picture here, is that they have, like, a box over them. Or in Numbers, it's translated covered carts. So that picture seems to me to be more like the tortoise. So I think this is the picture of someone who, instead of moving forward, they just want to be protected. They just want to be covered up. They just want to find a safe place for themselves in this world. The gecko, the word translated gecko, and again, no one really knows what this animal here. It's only used here. You know, it's In the King James, it's translated ferret. But the word that it's name is based on is to shriek. It's to those who are crying out, those who are, are, are stirring up trouble with shrieking. I think that's the picture here. 
It's not being sober. Sober-minded. The monitor lizard, again, no one knows what this animal is either. It's thought probably to be a large lizard. And the word that it comes from means to be firm or to have vigor, to be forceful. This is a picture of the stubborn, the one who won't move, the one who, who stays firm. And we can think that stubbornness, you know, what's wrong with stubbornness? If you're right, there is a place that you should be firm. But the picture here is, is more like Isaiah 46, 12. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted who are far from righteousness. This is the person that won't move even when he's confronted with truth, who won't move even when he's proven to be wrong. I think that's the picture of what's translated the monitor lizard. The sand reptile, again, nobody knows what this animal really is. It's translated lizard in the KJV. But the word that its name is based on means to hide. It's that picture of walking in darkness, of hiding so men can't see your deeds. The person who hides their deeds, that's a sign that they're unclean. That's a sign that they're not right with God. Just like the person who won't hear God's word and move, that just stays in place, they're not right with God. The person who's slick and tries to manipulate, they're not right with God. The person who's always on the attack, they're not right with God. The sand lizard. Again, no idea what this animal really is, but the word that its name is based on, it means to lie low. One who doesn't, you know, just just avoids dealing with the world around them, just kind of lies low, stays out of the way, doesn't get caught, doesn't have any effect on the world. They're like the person who, who in... You know, the parable of the talents, they receive one talent and they go, I'm just going to go dig, it, dig a hole in the earth and hide it and I'll return back the talent. That's the, that's the picture of the sand lizard. They just want to stay out of the way. They don't want to get in any trouble. They just want to avoid it. That's not the point of a Christian. Jesus Christ saved us to be his ambassadors. Jesus Christ saved us to have an impact on the world, to declare truth, to be light and salt. Those who lie low are not salt and light. They're just trying to avoid trouble. That's not why God saves us. He saves us so that we can teach the world about the difference between the holy and the unholy. And then the chameleon. <coughs> this is weird because this animal name was also translated the white owl in verse 18. So obviously no one really knows what it is. And it Probably there was in the category of birds. This is in the category of creeping things. So they are probably two different animals that have the same, the same name. This name is based on to breathe hard. And the KJV translates it mole, which probably makes more sense than the chameleon because moles, they actually, I didn't know this, but I've learned all kinds of zoological things in this chapter, but that moles actually hold their breath while they're digging, so they tend to pant after they're done digging. And so that's why the King James translated mole, because they're a hard breather. So whether that's right or not, but it certainly makes sense. In the picture of digging into the ground, the, the people that are trying to get the, the things of this world and their focus are on the things of this world, they're not clean. Those whose passions are about this world, they're not clean. They are unclean to you. We're not supposed to, and again, we're not supposed to think that they don't have any effect on us. They have a real effect on us. They really impact us, and we're supposed to look among those things that creep. And we're supposed to look at them and say, oh, they, they, they're not doing anything. They're just trying to stay out of the way. Or nobody can convince him of anything. Or all these other pictures that God gave us because when we run into people like that, we're supposed to go, this affects our walk. This affects how we think about God. This affects what we do. It's not separate. It makes us unclean. Whoever touches them, when they are dead, they shall be unclean until evening. The world around us has a real effect, so we need to be recognizing that effect. And when we join with it, we need to recognize, we need to be cleansed from it. We need to look and say, how did my garments get defiled? Because they can get defiled without us even recognizing that they've been defiled. So let me give you a few applications. (coughs) 
first application is the birds of the air, the flying insects, the fish of the sea that are not permitted to be eaten. They're abominations. But the beasts of the field are not. They just are unclean. It seems to me that the reason is that birds, fish, insects, they all appear to be above the earth, either by flying or by swimming. They're not resting on the ground. They appear to have this picture of being separated from the earth. So I think they're, at some level, they're a picture of those who, who are to be Christians or that profess to be Christians. They profess to be separate from this world. And so God says that those, when they're unclean, that's an abomination. The things of the world, when they're unclean, they're just the things of the world. They're unclean. That's what we should expect in the world. But in the eyes of God, somebody who professes to be his and is far from him is far worse than the person who does not know him and does not pretend to be part of him. Those who are of the earth, you know, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I don't mean that don't eat with those who don't profess to be brothers. If you didn't eat with those who didn't profess to be brothers, you couldn't live on this earth. But if they profess to be a brother and they're walking in sin, those are the ones that are an abomination. Those are the ones, if they aren't clean animals, those are the ones that are abomination. There's plenty of things in this world that are unclean. That's not the problem. It's, it's when they pretend to be the people of God. That's a much bigger problem. It's important for us to understand that it's more offensive to the name of God. It's more hatred towards your brother to let someone name the name of Christ without walking the walk, without having a testimony of being his. For the world to look like the world, not a problem. It, yes, it's unclean. But for a Christian to look like the world, that's an abomination in the eyes of God. And that's how we should look at it. It distorts what the church looks like to the world when we don't make a difference, when we don't discern the difference between the clean and the unclean. Another application. In the first kind of locus in this passage, there's this picture of of what would now be called revivals. When all of a sudden a large number of people are saved... We shouldn't think that couldn't happen. That is the picture of that first locust that just increases. All of a sudden, it explodes in numbers. You know, when at Pentecost, 3,000 are saved in one day, that's like the picture of the locust. So we should expect God to move in this way at some times. We shouldn't be surprised when all of a sudden a revival breaks out and a large percentage of people are saved or a large number of people are saved. That's what God does at times. He says locusts are clean so that when we see that, we don't go, no, they, 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 they're too emotional. They're too, right? As we read revival and revivalism, there are certain charges that people make when there appears to be real revivals. And that's because they don't see that they're like the locust in the way they increase. This is what God does at times. And it's rare You don't have locust swarms attacking and destroying all the crops. But God does do that sometimes. So we shouldn't be surprised when God raises up believers like locusts in the field because those are clean animals. Another thing about locusts that we should remember is locusts are a picture of the church overwhelming the world. And Paul goes... When I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's the picture of a locust. Locusts are like, they have no strength at all. They're really easy to kill. But yet, they can destroy whole societies. They destroyed Egypt. Egypt had nothing left because of the locusts. They're not strong because individually they're strong. They're strong because when God sends them in a horde, they can't be withstood. That's what the church is like. Each member of the church is weak and lowly, but together they bring down kingdoms. Together they destroy all the kingdoms of the earth and make them like chaff on the summer threshing floor. (coughs) Another, Another thing about the locusts or the grasshoppers or any of these animals is God has given us the same picture of different things. 
And, and I think when we think of the Sabbath, we should be thinking about, it's like the grasshopper. In this sense, six days you labor and do all your work, work, and one day you rest. One day you are to focus on God. One day are you to worship. It's like the grasshopper that walks around and occasionally leaps. The people who don't keep the Sabbath, the Bible says they're not clean. The people that don't leap, the people who have no interest in, in eternal life, who have no interest in saying, I'm going to set aside the cares of this world to worship God, they're unclean. It's really that simple. And so God gives us that picture in locusts, but he also gives us the same picture in the Sabbath. Another application, don't deceive yourself about the effect that those around you, especially those who profess Christ, that do not have the characteristics of the clean, do not, do not deceive yourself as to how much they affect you, how much they defile you. In our desire for people to be saved, in our desire to think people as being clean, it's easy to overlook things that if we paid attention, if we cared enough to look, we would say, no, wait a second, they're unclean. They're a filth in the eyes of God. Don't overlook evidence. Don't overlook things that prove that somebody's unclean because you want them to be clean. Because if they're unclean and pretending to be clean, they're an abomination. God says they're, it's like you're, you're handling manure. It's an abomination. It's filth. And I think it's very easy for us to go, oh, no, I think they're okay. And just overlook things that should tell us that they're not. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to treat them the way they should be treated. As God looks at that about them, not as the world looks about them. When we do that, when we pretend like somebody who's filthy, that's an abomination, when we pretend like they're clean with God, we defile ourselves and we affect our deeds. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. That's a promise from Scripture. Another application. God testifies that there is hope. In the midst of all these laws, when you think about how, how do you get by without touching you know, a dead animal that defiles you? How do you get by with just walking through this world and staying clean? But in the midst of that, God says, at evening you'll be clean. As we go through this life and we struggle with sin, as we go through this life and we try to turn from sin, as we get defiled by this world, remember the promise The day is coming when you'll be made clean. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a clean animal, the day is coming where he will remove all sin from you. And so this is the hope. Throughout this passage, every time you read and be unclean until evening, remember that's the statement of hope. That's going to be throughout the rest of Leviticus. And every time we read that, we should remember that is the promise that we can have hope in this world, that it will end that all sin will be taken away and we will be made clean by God. And there's a, a promise that, that God will allow us to wash our clothes now. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gives us the ability through his spirit to wash our clothes, and that's a great hope. The sins don't have to remain. You can scrub them out, and they'll all be removed when Christ returns. And the last application. Even the righteous still need to be cleansed. Even the most, the, the person who studies the scripture the most, the person who has the greatest focus on eternal life. We are still defiled by the world. You can't avoid it. We still need to be cleansed. Not just because of external things, but because of internal things. Romans 7, 22 through 25. For I delight in the law of God according to the in- inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. Make sure you're a clean animal. The clean animals aren't perfect, but the clean animals serve the law of God. And they wrestle against the flesh. And they wrestle with a promise that Christ is going to return. And when he returns, the unclean will become clean. Our defilement will be removed. Our corruption will be put off. And he will make it so we never sin anymore. That's the great promise of what Christ came to do. is to produce a holy people that can be in the presence of God forevermore. So let's work towards that now in our own lives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we do thank you for this passage. We thank you for the things in it. There's so much in it, Lord. I pray that you teach us the things that we should learn from it, the things that we should put into practice. Let us not just hear these things, but let us, let us see how you have manifested these type of people in front of us. And let us see the clean and the unclean. And let us not be defiled. And let your church, even more importantly, let your church not be defiled by accepting is clean what is unclean. Lord, we thank you that you have given us these pictures. May we rightly interpret them. In your name we pray. Amen.